Amen. Amen. Guys, would you grab a Bible and join me this morning? We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. Book of 1 John chapter 4. If you brought a Bible and you're heading there, wonderful. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are Bibles around you uh, and the chairs in front of you, page number on the screen, you can get there. If you want to use an electronic device with the Bible app, you can do that as well. One way or another, we're wanting the Bible to be in front of you so that you're seeing and hearing what God would say. Now, that's true for those here in the, in the sanctuary. If you're in our overflow or you're joining us online, same invitation. Grab a Bible so that this morning it would be His Word that would be made real to you. So with that in mind, let's take a moment. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I hope you would pray as well. Would you just ask God to help you hear what He wants you to hear today from His Word? Father, thank you right here and now. I think about the world that we live in, and it can be such a confusing and even dark world. I think of what you tell us there in the book of Psalms, that your word is a light unto our path. God, I just think about that now. It is true. And how much we need it, how much we need you to be the one that would shine light on our path. Would you do that in an individual way today? So that though we're studying together this passage, you would talk to us individually. That there would be a way that we would hear what you would say to us. Would you give us ears to hear what you would speak to each one of us individually? Would you, in your great faithfulness, do what I cannot do in that? Cause us to hear and cause your work to have the impact into our lives that we each need it to have right now. Pray for that together right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, there are reminders in life that are needed and necessary, but not always enjoyable. Not the kind of thing that necessarily right off the bat that you would find delight in. I would think about things, you know, like that check engine light that blinks on the dash. You know what I mean, right? I mean, there's a sense of understanding. I don't think anybody ever sees that bop up in your dash and go, yay, like, that's great. Let's do that. Let's have a problem with the car. That's a wonderful idea. No, that's not the way we process it, but you would do well to heed it. For many times, not always, but many times it points to serious issues that need attention, that need, you know, just something to step in there. And in life, God gives us the same. I draw your attention to it because in many ways for me, the subject matter that we come across this morning is that. It's like a check engine light. It's like one of those warnings that be there that he's going to speak to us this morning about the need to test the spirits, to be aware of things that are deceiving and deceptions in our world. And I just want to say this at the very outset, this is not my favorite subject. I, I hope that's okay, just to kind of be honest with you. It doesn't kind of start this off in a weird way. But if I were picking subjects to teach, this would never be it. I would never go, you know, that's what I want to do on Sunday morning. I want to get up and talk about the things that are wrong and the, and the deceitful ways that things are happening in our world. But part of teaching through the Bible verse by verse is we teach what God's got there. And so I like it. I recognize it as a needed thing. And, and again, maybe you are like, no, Jim, I love this kind of stuff. I, 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 I eat it up. Well, good. I'm glad. I don't. I don't. But I will teach it because it's here. But in that for me and maybe for you as well, I want to draw your attention to the very first word. You got your Bibles there, notice in verse 1, he says it this way, beloved, beloved. Yeah, first word, and in many ways, it's such an important understanding, because there is a sense that he's inviting you and I to hear the tone of voice of what's about to be said. So helpful. 
So helpful. I'm sure it's happened to you. Maybe you've sent off a text message or somebody sent a text message to you and it got completely misunderstood. And you're like, that's not even what I was saying. Like, I mean, if you could have just heard my tone of voice, you would have known that I wasn't saying it that way. And that's the problem with written communication is it is, you know, without that tone of voice. But God, when he writes his word, sometimes he just tosses in the tone so that he makes sure that you say, okay, when you hear this, hear this. Hear it as if behind this, there's, a, there's this tone of affection. There's this tone of love. It's not angry. God's not speaking rudely. There's not any sense of harshness in the things we're going to talk about, but neither is it just cold and callous. It's not this place of just like, hey, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. No, behind it, it's if you could hear the words that are being said in our text this morning. It's as if God is saying, you know, I'm saying this to you because I love you. And as I'm saying, if you can hear it, you would hear his heart just communicating that it's a way that he would communicate care. Now, I like that. I like it as we approach this, and I find myself aware that that's not the only space that it's found. Some of you would recognize there's other letters in the New Testament that deal with this, and Jude, in his letter, does the same thing, where he simply says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once all for all delivered to the saints. In other words, just very simply, Jews like, I would much rather talk about good things. I would much rather talk about our common faith. I, I really, really wanted to do that. That's the idea. I was very diligent, but I found it absolutely necessary. I found it essential that we talk about some of the things that are errors and things that are going on. And that's exactly how this comes across. And so again, just hear it that way. Hear this in a loving, kind way. So with that as our aim, let's read the whole text that we're going to cover this morning, and then we'll try to piece it together. So there in verse one, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have now heard, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. Okay, well, there we are. We have this kind of sobering reminder, but maybe one of the key things to understand is he's warning us. In fact, go back to verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God because. Because why? Many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets, that's what we need to pause and just wrap our mind around because he's calling you and I to be aware of this, calling us to be aware of how big this is. He says many false prophets have gone out into the world. So what's a false prophet? Let's give a really simple definition to it. It could be bigger than this, but it certainly is this. So a prophet is one that says they represent God, that they're speaking for God. Sometimes it can be speaking about the future. Other times it can just be speaking God's heart or how he feels about something. So someone who says they're a prophet says, hey, I'm giving you a message that is a message from God. I have something that God is giving me to give to you. That's a prophet. But here's the thing. A false prophet is lying. It's not actually from God. They say they have a message from God, but they are not representing God. What they're saying didn't come from him. Pretty simple definition, right? So a false prophet is someone who says they represent God. They're not. But here in our text, he says, here's what we need to understand. There's a lot of them. 
Many false prophets have gone out into the world. So I found myself just sitting there trying to comprehend this a little bit this week as we were thinking about heading into this passage, and I thought it might just be helpful to begin with a very big view of this and understand that there really is only one God, and there's only one way. There's only one God. Yeah, that's exactly what the Bible tells us. We, we think about it this way. Isaiah 44 would say it this way. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last besides me. There is no God. Well, that's pretty clear, is it not? I mean, God says, I'm, I'm God. I'm the God who is the beginning. I'm the end. I'm the same. Outside of me, there are no other gods. There's none out there. There's nothing else that is a God. There, besides me, there is none. In Deuteronomy 4, it says, Therefore, know this day and consider in your heart that the Lord himself is God and heaven above and on earth beneath there is no other. There's only one God. I think about it in a passage in Timothy. We'll look at the rest of it in a few moments. But it just begins by saying there is one and only one God. So many other verses say the same reality, but it's worth just kind of letting that just permeate for a second. So it's not like there's a bunch of gods out there. As we think about reality, the Bible's really clear. There's only one. There's only one God. So anything else that says that it's a God or proclaims to be God, it's a lie. It's false. It's untrue. Now, there are many things that proclaim to, to, to be God or representing of God, but just understanding it this way, they are either demonically encouraged and or man-made. So every other thing out there that is pretending to be a God, it's either demonically encouraged and or man-made. For example, Deuteronomy, give it to us this way. God says, they provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. They sacrificed to demons, not to God to the gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals. God says they came up with these new things. They came up with the gods that weren't even really gods. They're demonic. These are, as, as people pursued these other gods, demons really encouraging that because there really are no other gods. Think about it in Psalm 135. It says the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. And speaking about them literally like an idol made, but speaking metaphorically about the ideas, they're man-made. I mean, if you have some, if there's a God out there that isn't of the true God, somebody came up with it. It was a man-made design. It was something that people created. That's true. So how big is that? How big is that? Well, again, it might be helpful to think about it this way. Statistics tell us that there are at least 4,000 other religions in our world. That if you were to kind of catalog everything in the world, there are 4,000 other religions worldwide. But here, again, if you're processing through it this way with me, 4,000 lies. There are 4,000 other ways that people say you can get to heaven or get to God, and they are wrong. Now, that's huge. I mean, that's just big for us to begin to understand. That being said, most of those 4,000 uh, religions fall into minor categories because most of the world falls into one of five categories that three-fourths of the world's population falls into categories that would land in some of the major world religions in our world. So again, this is what it was in 2015. It hasn't changed a bunch since then, so it would be helpful just to think it through. We think about it in our world, the largest percentage of uh, kind of religious understanding is Christianity, falls at 31%. Muslims trailing, at, you know, but growing at 24%. 
unaffiliated people who have no religion, about 16, Hindus at 15, and then folk religions, Buddhists, uh, uh, Judaism falling into some of the other major categories uh, that are in our world. And so most people fall under that. Well, that's helpful. As again, just kind of gives us a worldview of it to begin to say, okay, there's a bunch of stuff out there, but only Christianity is right. But even within the realm of Christianity, there are differences. So Worldwide, 31% of the, uh, of the world kind of proclaims Christianity. 50% of that's Catholic. 36% Protestant, which is what we are. 11.9% uh, Orthodox, and then other kind of variations about 1.3%. So pretty you know, wild when you look at that, even from a worldwide perspective. might even be helpful to think about it from uh, just a perspective within the United States. The United States is a little bit different. Again, worldwide, Catholicism is about, was the largest at 50%. In, in the United States, Protestant, what we are, 42% Catholic, 21, Mormon about two, and then moving on down the list. Well, again, that just gives us a good understanding because here's what we're thinking through. We're trying to recognize how big of a deal this is and saying in the most simple way, most of the world is buying into a lie. That if this is to be rightly understood, you know, outside of Christianity, it's a lie. Even within, sometimes calling it Christendom can be things that would be a lie. And we would just recognize right now we're not talking about something small. And if I don't know if that even landed with you the way I want it to land with you, but I just need you to hear it this way because if you're hearing it and you're like, well, yeah, there's many false prophets in the world and, you know, there's going to be a few of them out there. There's going to be a few misrepresentations of God. It's like, no, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of things that are seriously in error in our world, and you and I need to be aware. Not only is there only one God, but there's only one way to God. There's only one way to God, and that is Jesus. We think about it in Timothy, finishing off that passage we looked at a moment ago. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One God and one way. There's one God, and there's only one way to get to him, and that is through Jesus, which is exactly what Jesus said. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. Anybody that tries to get to God on another path is not going to get there because the only way to get to the only God is through Jesus. Every other thing is a lie. Now, that's a big deal when we think about our world, and Jesus would kind of picture it this way. We think about it in Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few that find it. This is Jesus acknowledging what I'm trying to tell you this morning. This is a really big deal. This is a really big deal. There's a lot, if you could look at the world, there's a, this huge pathway of people that are making their way towards the gods of their own choosing. It's not working. They're not going to get there. There's one narrow path, and it's Christ. And, and, and it's not the majority of the world. It is, it, most people are missing. And so that's a serious deal. We gaze into all of that, and it helps us understand that when we're thinking about everything that we want to understand, he's warning you and I that false prophets are real and that you need to be aware of it. We just want to have that big view for a moment and understand that's really, really big in our world. But let me add to it, because it's not just big out there. To kind of try to say it simply, it's going to be something that you need to personally be aware of, that this is not just happening out there. See, again, for some of you, like, well, you know, I'm not really tempted towards Hinduism. 
Not a big deal. You know, it's like, that's not going to draw me. I'm not after Islam. Not, not really being moved that way. So, Jim, I'm just, those false things are out there, right? Now, the Bible is really clear. When we think about false prophets, it's not just those who are outside of what we know as Christianity or the church. It's inside. In Second Peter, he would say it to us this way. But as there were also false prophets among the people, that is in the Old Testament, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So this is going to be people who masquerade in Christianity and they're going to lead people astray. You're going to have to face it not just outside of Christianity, you're going to have to face it within. In fact, Jesus said the same thing. He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. They look like sheep. They look like Christians. They dress like them. They act like it externally, but inside it's destructive. That's a false prophet, Jesus says. That's a false prophet. That's what we're needing to be aware of. And so again, he speaks to us in a very loving way and says, here's the deal. This is what you're going to have to face. This is what's going to be in the world is that you have to be aware that false prophets are there. So what do you need to do? Well, let's go back to our verse. Verse is, but we'll just do verse one right now. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to check it. You need to test it. You need to be aware of because you're anticipating that this can happen. So you're going to be one who tests it. Or we might use a biblical term that some of you would be aware of. Sometimes we'll call them, hey, you need to be a Berean. What's a Berean? Well, if you're unaware of it, it's a passage given to us in the book of Acts. In Acts 17, 11, Paul is journeying through the known world, taking the gospel into new territories, and he comes to the city of Berea. It says, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away, and at night he came to Berea. And again, I just want you to draw attention there because that's why we call, kind of be a Berean. In case you're ever wondering, like, what is a Berean? Well, it's kind of like the people in the city of Berea. That's kind of where it lands. Maybe helpful enough to get that there. Well, what made these people so special? Well, he tells us they were more fair-minded. Some translations say noble-minded or right-thinking. You might even understand it. In that they received the word with all readiness, and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Wow. So two things that you need to draw attention to when you think about the idea of being a brilliant. First of all is they're receptive. They received the word with all readiness. Like, they're open, but... With that, they also verify. They are checking it daily. They're searching the scriptures. They're not just believing everything that's being said because they recognize it might be untrue. And so they're checking what's being said against the scriptures. So we'll just kind of list that and say, okay, here's the deal. You need to be open. And you need to be open so that you're open to God speaking because he is the God who's speaking, but you also need to be one that verifies, that checks that, that causes that. I mean, that's, again, what he's calling us to here in Acts 17. That's what he's inferring here in John as well, that we be those who test them. And I want you just to see this. I just want you to see this and understand this is a beautiful thing, having this openness uh, of heart, but then having this ability to say, well, you know, I'm not just going to believe it because they said it. I'm going to check it. Can I just say this even just in a very personal way? It is never going to offend me if you say, Jim, this is what I'm going to do with what you teach me. 
In fact, it would do nothing but honor me. If you say, well, that was an interesting message. I'm going to go home and see if that's actually what the passage says. <laughs> like, I'm going to go and get, pull it out later, and I'm going to open up 1 John and say, okay, I heard Jim. Is that actually what it's saying? You know, because I don't want to just believe it because he said it. I want to daily search the scriptures. And he says, when you do that, that's what not only verifies that, but it's interesting to note what the next passage says. It says, because of that, therefore, many of them believed. See, there's somebody who's hearing me right now, and you're like, well, Jim, if I did that, if I became um, kind of, you know, just cautious about embracing everything, wouldn't that hinder my faith? Actually, no, it would do the opposite. Because they were open but checked, it only amplified their belief, and many became followers of Christ in the midst of this because they approached it this way. So that's what he's calling us to. Probably clear enough, but it's worth just making sure I say it because there's two ways that you can fall off of what God has here. One of them is you could just be gullible. You could be one of those people that are just saying, hey, I just, I believe it. You know, somebody says they're talking for God. They tell me they're giving a Bible study. I just believe that they're, you know, talking about something that's genuine. That's obviously what he's telling you not to do. That's the point of our passage. That's the point of 1 John 1. It's like, don't believe everything you hear. Check it. Verify it. You know, search it. That's what he's telling us, that you're not meant to be just so that it could be easily led astray. Don't be those who are just open. But on the other side, it's not good just to be critical. It's not good just to be one that is now just kind of closed to this. Now, I, I know this. I, I, as I prepared this message, I knew I was going to be talking to somebody that you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, Jim, you tell them. You tell them. You tell them about all those weird things that are in the world. You tell them about all these things. And you think you're a Berean, but you're not because you're closed. You're critical. You're critical of everything, but you're not actually open to God speaking any longer. You're not like, I, I really am open. I'm listening. I want to hear what God says. I just want to make sure it's God speaking. And I want to say, if that's you this morning, let it be one that recognizes and pulls you into this because he's inviting you and I to test it. He's inviting you and I to be those who don't just receive everything. We check it. We're going to, you know, verify what's there. He's telling us to do that, but he's not telling us to be close to it because what we're searching out is we want to make sure that what we're hearing is really of God. Okay. So we're testing it. Well, what are we testing? Well, we've read it a couple times, and you probably already saw it, but it's worth, because it's just a really interesting way he says it. Let's read one more time in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. So here's my question for you. Why do you say it like that? Why does he say you should test the spirits. Well, what does he mean by that? Where is he going with it? Well, it's probably at least a couple of things. First of all, it really is looking for the source. I mean, it really is a sense because there is a reality of understanding that there could be a demonic spirit, there could be something that's happening behind that that could lead us astray, and those are not the things we want to listen to. Again, in 1 Timothy, he would actually tell us this. God tells us now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, like the last days, like probably what we're living in, that some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This is really insightful. Did you know this? I mean, we really do have an enemy. There really is a devil, and there really are demons, and they really are seeking to influence the world. 
So if you didn't know this passage, and I asked you, so what do demons do? Like, how are they trying to mess up our world? Would you be like, well, you know, that's kind of like the occult, man. That's kind of like when people are out there practicing, practicing Satanism, or it's, you know, in some, and, and it probably is. I mean, they're probably very much involved in that. That's probably very much stuff that's, that's a part of the demonic world. But understand this, it's almost as if you could gaze into the planning meeting in, in hell. And, and, they're not in hell. Sorry, and, and, and where, where the devils and the demons gather, it's almost as you're invited to just see yourself in this moment, and they're having a conversation like, how are we going to mess up the world? Tell you what, let's bring in a false teaching inside the church. Let's bring in a doctrine of demons, a teaching of that, that it's a direct plan of the enemy to seek to mess up God's people by, by intentionally planning deceptions that would seek to mess up people's lives. And again, maybe you get this. Maybe you're, you're like, well, of course that makes sense. But some are like, wow, I just didn't even think about it that way. I mean, I, just didn't, I, mean, I, I didn't think, I mean, I, I recognize we have an enemy, but I wasn't recognizing that this is actually a very specific part of his plan to mess up people's lives is he is planning, you know, introducing teachings into the Christian church that would somehow mess them up. But that's exactly what he's doing. So certainly there is a sense that we need to be one of those who says, I don't want to go there. To test the spirits would be to recognize the source. Is this of God or is this demonic? That's true. But I actually think there's a really pragmatic and practical aspect to this as well, because if I, even if I just told you what I told you, how do you verify that? So how do you check if something's demonic or, you know, of God? I mean, there is no like, you know, spirit detector kind of thing that you pull out of your pocket, you know, it's like, how do I know? How do I know if this is of God? How do I know if this is spiritual? How do I know if this this is devilish? Well, what if the idea of testing the spirits is not so much a description of just the origin, but in some ways we'd almost say the spirit of something, it's like the essence of it. Like, you would really understand the, the, the essence of this. Now, we talk about this all the time in other categories, and I wish I could, there's just, want to say it better than I'm saying it, but it's not as clear as I want, but just try to hear it. Because maybe you're trying to do this. Maybe you're trying to introduce somebody, and maybe you're inducing two friends together, and you're like, hey, don't be just put off at first. You know, they might be kind of hard to, you know, hear the first time. But once you get to know them, once you understand who they are and you kind of catch their spirit, you'll understand what they're saying and why they're saying it. And maybe some of you understand that. It's like, you, you know, just don't hear the words, hear who they are. I want you to hear the spirit of what's being said. And there's an essence of this. So maybe very, very practically, we're not just saying that you can check someone's doctrinal statement of faith. Not a bad thing to do. So you can go to a church or a denomination or some pastor, your teacher, you say, well, give me your statement of faith. But here's what I've learned. Most people have a pretty good statement of faith, even if it doesn't change actually what they're giving us. It's not necessarily there. We're not asking for a a technical thing. I might add to it, and it's a bigger thing than this, but it might be helpful. Neither are we critical of every word that's said. I mean, there are some people who are very passionate about these ideas of lies, but it's moved them into a critical place where they just tear apart every word. And, And yet that's never what God is crawling us to. Instead, there is a sense that we're looking at this whole place that we're paying attention to kind of the spirit of what's been said. Now, that's going to be more helpful in a moment, or I think it's going to be more helpful in a moment, but I want you just to kind of let us go, hold it there for a second, because there ought to be a way that you should be able to say, so what's the atmosphere? What's the spirit of this? Where is this going? What, What are we looking for? Ah, let's go back and see it. He tells us this way again, and he now tells it this way in verses two and three. He says, by this you know. 
the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is, is, is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So what did he just say? Well, in many ways, the simplest thing he's telling us is it really is all about Jesus. That that's the main thing. That that which we're supposed to be looking for, that it would be this. He says, here's how you know. Here's how you can tell. He says that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you know, that it is of God. Everyone that does that represents that. There is a sense of understanding that recognizing when we say this, it's to recognize that Jesus, being God, the Christ, comes into this place where he becomes fully man and dies on the cross. Now, at this moment, I've just got to pause and say, okay, this, this is the most incredible reality in the world. This is the essence of what the, the gospel is. This is the essence of what we believe, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is this incredible reality that God, in Christ, became a man to die on the cross. In essence, that's what he's speaking of here. Without getting too technical, he says, you got to believe that he's the Christ, which is not Jesus's last name. It's a time the idea of Messiah or the appointed one that would recognize him as his deity and that he's come in the flesh. He says, if you can see this, if this is what they're confessing, this reality, this celebration of what God did in Christ, that's what you're really looking for. He says, this is what you'll know. This is how you'll know. This is how you're going to be able to know. Now, you gaze on these two things, and the idea is what you're looking at. What we're looking at is the most central thing in the world, that main thing that Jesus came to die on the cross, pay the price for our sins, rise again the third day from the grave. Now, I think about it. Like, this is basics in some ways, but it's not. It's everything we are. Sinners in the cross, sinners in the resurrection. For you guys who just walked this through with us this last week, celebrating the Holy Week, celebrating Jesus dying, celebrating the resurrection, I just want to remind you, this is the week that changed the world. It's the center of everything. It's the center of all of God's plan. It's the center of everything that he's seeking to do in our life. It's the center of everything that is a space of what he has for us. Now, there are other aspects of false teaching. I don't want to missay this, that you think, well, Jim, this is the only thing that we're paying attention to. No, this is, you know, God speaks about false teaching a bunch of times in his word. We have the book of Jude, we have 2 Peter, uh, we have Galatians, we have Corinthians. And so there are certainly other aspects that need to be aware of when we think about false teaching. But for John right here, and for what we're talking about, we're talking about the main thing, that what we need to recognize is that this is everything. And so that this is that which we're listening for. Now, I think about trying to say this, and I could literally take you on a perusal of probably 100 passages right now. We don't have time for that, but let me take you through just a few so you can feel the weight of what I'm trying to say. I think about it this way. When Jesus was speaking in John 5, he says, you search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are the, that which testify of me. Speaking to some who were religious, he says, well, you, you, you think you love the Bible, but Everything in this book will lead you to me. The essence of, of the entire Bible leads us to Christ. That the essence of everything that, that would be here would be an understanding that would draw us to Jesus because he's the one we need. We think about the verse we already saw there in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is that essence of everything that we are and everything that we need. I think about it 
in, in Matthew 7, when we think about Jesus looking at those who miss uh, his, his just being saved. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, it's a big understanding, but I just quickly launch it into it. Jesus is saying on the last days, there are going to be people that say, well, I know your name. But Jesus says, here's the thing that changes everything. We don't have a relationship. This defines your eternity. And if you don't know me, you don't have that, then there are the, you, you miss Jesus. You miss everything. Jesus would speak to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, 2, where he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. You've walked away from the most important thing. You've missed the, the, the greatest thing, which is loving God and, and knowing Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul would speak this. And he says, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and, and him crucified. He says, I have one message. It's Jesus. I have one message to you, and it's Jesus dying on the cross. I mean, that's, my, that's, that's the whole deal, Paul says. In fact, he would go on in, in chapter 15 and say, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. So I'm going to tell you what the gospel is. I'm telling you the gospel that will change the world. I'm going to tell you what it is. It says, which I preach to you, which you also received, and which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to which I preach to you. It says, if this is what you believed, if you believe the gospel, you're saved. If you're standing in the gospel, this is who you are. What's the gospel? He tells us. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is that God sent his son, who died on the cross for us, paid the price for our sins, rose again from the grave. It is everything that we need. It is the essence of, of, of what we have. It's this place where, as we recognize this, as we think about what it is, so that we'd be able to say, okay, no matter what else is said, then we almost have to verify. Okay, what are you saying, telling me about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? Because that's going to give me clarity whether what you're saying is true or not. Now, as I think about it just very practically, let me just try to say it this way. It's certainly highlighting a few things that would be very, very clear that are not of Christ. For John, it would be in his day a lie that would permeate the world very rapidly, which would come to be later known as Gnosticism. It's still present in our world, though it's changed focus a little bit. Gnosticism came upon the world, and what they have since believed is they said, we believe that Jesus is God. We just don't believe he's really flesh. We, we believe that Jesus is God. We just don't believe he really died on the cross and rose from the grave. We just think those are stories, uh, but we, we would recognize it. And John says, if that's what they're saying, if they're going to say that he's God, but he didn't come, he says, that's not God. You should be able to recognize that right now. We think about those in our world now, some who would embrace kind of a Christ consciousness that would say, hey, you know, it doesn't really matter if it really happened as long as you Christ-focused, or there would be, be some that would say it's kind of a fairy tale thing. It's kind of like Santa Claus, you know, it doesn't actually have to really happen. You just have to believe it as a good story. No, he's saying if they don't believe it, if they're not really recognizing Jesus came and died on the cross, then it's not of me. Now, that would just point out other things. In our world, that would kind of highlight the, the Jehovah's Witness, which would recognize them really falling into a cult because they believe Jesus in his humanity, but they reject his deity, reject that he really is the fullness of what God has in that, which really turns us to works. That would be very similar for, for Mormonism that embraces his, his human, you know, both his deity, but in a different way, diminishing uh, the, what the Bible tells us. That would be Islam 
who even, you know, much of our world embracing Islam today, you know, but recognize Jesus as a prophet, but not there, we would be able to say very technically, well, yeah, you mess up Jesus. You mess up Jesus, and we know you're, you, that you're off base, and so that's not going to be something that I'm going to focus on. I think that's helpful, and it's helpful for us even to say that, but it's more. So we're watching. We're thinking through this whole thing, and he's letting us know these things are coming, and here's how you're going to be able to recognize this. He adds another nugget that may just seal it further for you. Let me read it one more time, just beginning in verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit, notice, of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. Jesus is going to be the one that is the attack of the Antichrist. If this is brand new information for you, I apologize, but it's already been a part of 1 John, so I just quickly give it to you. Who's the Antichrist? The Antichrist is a man that's going to come on our world, kind of Satan's superman in many ways, that's going to lead the world astray following the rapture of the church, a place where the whole world is going to buy into it. And John has already been warning us about it. In fact, why don't you back up? You're there in chapter 4, so it's just back two chapters. Go to chapter 2 for a moment. Just notice it there in verse 18. It says, little children, it's the last hour. And you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. Jump on down to verse 22 for time's sake. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So what John is telling us is there's a huge lie that's coming on the whole world. The world's going to buy into it. He's going to be known as the Antichrist, but it's still happening right now. It's already happening in our world, and the idea of anti isn't the idea of against Jesus. The, the, the Greek word there, anti, has the idea of replacing him. So it's kind of simple, uh, maybe an overly simple way of thinking about it, but I just want you to think about it this way. It's antichrist. That's the lie. It's not anti-Bible. It's not anti-church. It's not anti-pastor. It's not anti-worship leader or not anti-anything else. Now, don't misunderstand me. All these are good. We need the Bible, and, and we need the church, and there is a space for worship, but somehow when we think about Satan's strategy, he says, if you can get it, it's an attack on Jesus. It's seeking to take Jesus' place. That when you think about Satan's big strategy, when you think about what he's seeking to do in the world, is the Antichrist is about replacing and dis- t- taking us away from our focus on Christ so that we're robbed from that. He says, if you can see this, then you understand his strategy. You understand what that is, and he's calling us away from it. So that might actually help us. So let's kind of put it together. I don't know if this has made sense, like I'd like it to make sense, but I want to say it in some ways, it's not an overly complicated thing. God loves you. And he says, there are people that are lying to you. And I want you to be lied to. I want you to know there are false teachers out there. You need to test them. You need to check what you're hearing and make sure it's right. So how do you test them? Well, let me just be clear. 
God wants us to grow in Christ so that we become less and less open to being deceived. He would say in Ephesians 4 that we'd grow more and more like Jesus so we're not tossed to and fro with every wave of doctrine and every false teaching that's coming. And some of you are growing in that. Like you really have a pretty good understanding of your Bible. You read the whole thing. You kind of understand things that are there. You have maybe some sense of history, maybe some sense of theology, sometimes even other things. And if that's you here this morning, well done. Hold fast and let the knowledge you have secure you against the lie. But let me say, what if that's not you? What if you're a brand new believer? What if last week was the, the week you gave your life to Jesus? And now you're like, so wait, what? There's things out there that are going to be lie. How am I supposed to mess? How, how do I not get deceived? Or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you're still honest. You have not grown like you should have grown. You're like, I still have not read the Bible even one time. I need to do that, really need to do that. And, you know, you're not as, as, as locked into the things that you should be. And, and please don't take this as an encouragement to stay there. There ought to be a sense that you could, should grow. That being said, what John gave us here is so simple that every one of us can do it. It's so simple that no matter how new of a believer you are or, or where you are, you can put it in this. What are you checking? Is it drawing me towards Christ or away from Christ? Is this drawing me to where he would be my everything? Or is there a false teaching that's getting between me and Jesus? He says, yeah, watch for that. Because that's a satanic strategy. It's the satanic strategy. It's the antichrist. It's to get people off him. And everything in the Bible, everything that God has for us is that Jesus would be our everything. So that we would say, hey, I'm fixing my eyes on him, the author and finisher of my faith. I'm abiding in Christ, that Christ is my life, that Christ is my source, that Christ is my strength, that he is my everything. I can tell you 100% that what God is seeking to do for you, every one of you, is draw you to Christ and deeper into Christ. Guarantee it. It is his simple strategy. Everything he has for you in that. I think about the song we were just singing a few moments ago right before I got up, and I, I really enjoy it. That, you know, Jesus strong and kind. and just kind of said, hey, I, you know, wherever, you know, are you weak? Then, then Jesus is saying, come. Are you fearful? Then Jesus, I mean, no matter where you are, Jesus is saying, come to me. If you don't know me, Jesus is saying, I'll come to you. And, but one way or another, the idea is you need Jesus. I mean, you 100% need Jesus. And one of the things that should just be very, very clear in your mind is that's what I need. So here's what's going to happen. It might happen. You're reading a book that is purporting to give you some teaching that's supposed to be good for you, maybe a message from God. You're listening to a sermon. You're listening to a worship song. And the check engine light goes off. You know, it's like, huh, I don't know what this is. <laughs> it, just, it just feels weird. Like, is this actually good? I mean, one of the fundamental questions you can just ask is, is this drawing me to Christ? Is, is, is this drawing me to a place that Jesus is my everything? Is, is this drawing me to a place that I would dive in deeper into Christ? And if not, then maybe I would just very quickly say, I recognize that as a satanic strategy. I mean, sometimes it would just be, you know, kind of a, a misstatement. Other times it's really a direct demonic thing. But there would be a place that you would be able to grow, go very, very clear in saying, you know, I can watch for this because I know this. I know what I need. I mean, I can tell you very clearly, I know what, I, I need more of Jesus. I, I need more of him. 
And if I can understand what this simply is telling us, hey, that we should test everything that's coming our way, and the essence of what we're testing is the centrality of Christ, the centrality of his death, resurrection, the cross. I mean, if it draws me to there, it's like, okay, that's good. <laughs> that's good. If it moves me from that, it should just be like, ah, that's red flags because I need Jesus. I need Jesus. You know, I wish it wasn't so. I wish I could be telling you this here this morning and say, well, this was really, really fun. Maybe not. Um, but either way, you're never going to have to deal with this. You are going to have to deal with this. There are so many lies in our world that would keep you from Jesus. So as we begin to try to pull this to a close, can we turn this to positive? Can we say, okay, we see it, we understand, okay, we need to be on, on, on watch for false prophets because they're going to bring false messages that's going to keep to separate us from Christ, and it's all about Jesus. So how do we turn this to a positive focus? Well, if you can understand Satan's strategy, then it can in many ways help you understand the simple place of where we are, that maybe to use that simple kind of phrasing of it, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what he's calling us to. That he's telling us in one sense, if you could see it, that, that you and I are being called to keep the main thing the main thing. And if I can just remind you or try to say it one more time, the main thing is Jesus. The main thing is Jesus. You need him. You need him. You need him every day. You know, we're going to close in just a few moments and we're going to sing that song, you know, in the morning when I rise, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. It's as if you should be able to say it all the time, like, that is what I need. I know what I need. Give me Jesus. If you give me something else, I'm going to be a suspect over that. If you're going to draw me to where the church or a man or a, an institution or works are going to become my focus, I'll be like, mm, I don't know about that. I need Jesus. I need more of Jesus. That's what I'm needing. I need, I need to know him better. I need to know the power of his resurrection. I need to know the fellowship of his sufferings, as Paul would say. I need more of him. I need more of Christ. I need my life hid in Christ. I need him. And, and, and so if we can see the strategy, then in one sense, we could almost say, well, I know, you know, outside of what Satan is doing, I'm going to make the main thing the main thing. I'm going to make this my, my, my focus and, and my pursuit because, guys, I'm telling you, it is what he has for you. And I'm telling you, it's what you need. I don't have to know you. I don't have to know everything that you're going through right now. I don't have to understand all the ins and outs of your present situation, but I can tell you fundamentally, you need Jesus. If you don't know him this morning and you're outside of a relationship with him, you need Jesus. He's the only way. He's the only way to get saved. He's the only way to have that. And so if you're here this morning and you're outside of a relationship with Jesus, I'm just telling you, you need Jesus. If you're in a relationship with him and yet lies are permeating around your world, I'm just telling you, you need Jesus. If it's keeping you from Jesus, recognize it, you need Jesus. You need more of him. You need to focus on him. You need to abide in him. You need your life hid in him. For all of us, we just need in that space. And again, even for those who are doing well, I think if you can see all of this, it should just move you to the place of, I'm not going to wait for Satan to try to lie to me to recognize where I need to go. I'm going to get it and say, okay, if Satan's goal is antichrist, then my goal is Christ. If Satan's goal is to keep me from Jesus, I know what my goal needs to be. So I'm going to take all of this and say, don't, don't get between me and my Lord. You know, don't, don't let anything keep me from Jesus because I know what I need. And I just want to invite you into that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a, a final moment, and we're just going to give you a moment to pray about this. 
We do this on Sunday mornings in just a space that would be a place where you could pray and it could be a place where you're going to surrender your life to him or maybe again wherever you are. It would be a space of just being able to respond uh, into what he has for you. So again, just giving you a quiet moment before we leave, before anything else, what are you supposed to do with this? Again, maybe it's recognizing an error. Maybe it's recognizing something that would lead you astray. Or maybe it's intentionally saying, God, I'm going to make Jesus my focus. So quietly between you and the Lord, would you talk to him about that? I'll do the same. And then we'll close in worship in just a minute. Father, I just find myself thinking about it and saying it to you as I've already been saying it this week. I wish this wasn't so. I wish the things that we had to talk about today were unnecessary things. I do recognize the falseness of false religion in our world, and if that's all it was, I'd probably be okay with just declaring that. But the heartbreaking thing is that Satan's strategy is inside the realm of Christianity that you tell us there are false teachers, there are false prophets who say they're giving us messages of you and what you would have for our life, and they're not good messages. They're messages that would draw us away from you into works or into focus on the church or onto a man or some, so many other things. I wish it wasn't so. I don't like it. I don't like false teaching. I don't like that it even exists. But it does. So I ask for your rescue. I pray for those, anyone that's here that's outside of a relationship with you and maybe because of a false teaching. Maybe they thought they were okay, even though they didn't have a relationship with you. They thought they would make it and they didn't recognize that Jesus, you're the only way in. You're the way, the truth, and life. Nobody gets there any other way. Rescue these that don't know you. Rescue and draw them to Jesus. God, I pray for your kids who some of them are swallowing lies right now that are destructive. Just messing up their walks. The demonic doctrines that mess up believers, that hinder us from being the people you have us to be. Help us to be able to recognize them and maybe in a very simple way to recognize they're getting between us and you. They're not making me more dependent on you. They're not making me love you more. They're not exalting Christ. They're not causing me to recognize you're my everything and you're all that I need. God, where there's been any deception, rescue us from that. Rescue us from the lies that are present, that are coming. But leaving that with you, Lord, as I see Satan's strategy, I just recognize his strategy is against the very thing we need. 
It's an anti-Christ strategy because what I need is Christ. I see his aim and I want to make my aim to know you. Then I want to say, just in the words of the song we're about to sing, give me Jesus. That's what you, 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 I don't need anything else. I need Jesus. I need you every day. I need to know you more. I need to walk with you better. I need to find my life hidden in Christ. Teach us, keep us, draw us to Christ. Make it be just the main thing in our lives. I pray that for me and for all of us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.